for next little while uh, at the book of Mark again. Um, so having started a, a series in Mark's gospel uh, partway through last year, we're going to kick off with it again uh, the first Sunday of this new year. Uh, in which case would you like to find uh, Mark chapter 3, and in just a moment we'll start reading from verse 7. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can always follow on the screen. Follow on the screen above the, uh, on the, above the stage as well. Here we go. Uh, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Sumeria, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. There we have it. Uh, When we were last in uh, Mark's Gospel, for a few occasions in actual fact, uh, we kind of spent some time uh, through chapter ch- chapter two, uh, looking at, at the growing opposition uh, that was mounting against Jesus. So he was teaching uh, the good news of the kingdom. Um, he was demonstrating good news by healing people, um, casting out demons, bringing real lasting change uh, into people's lives. For for some, however, this was bad news, and we looked at uh, the Pharisees in particular and some of the other uh, leaders of the people who are not best pleased with what Jesus is doing and how he's interpreting the Sabbath, what should and shouldn't be done on the Sabbath was very important to them. Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. They counted that as work. That broke the law. So Jesus, even though he's doing good in the name of God, uh, in their eyes was a lawbreaker. And so the tension is mounting all the way through chapter 2. And... uh, For our purposes at least, it seemed to me really that chapter 2 should finish in chapter 3 verse 6. That's where it kind of, all that tension builds up to. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. That was some response to Jesus' ministry. And uh, uh, a tension uh, is, was mounting. Now we get a a kind of a a new take, a new perspective, uh, another way of looking at Jesus' Actions, his activities in Galilee, certainly uh, verse 7 uh, to 12, could be uh, an overview of all that was going on during this time in Jesus' uh, ministry. Uh, again, we find him beside the lake. And what we're going to see is, whereas uh, beforehand we've seen growing opposition, now the focus is coming back on on the growing popularity of Jesus. The Pharisees uh, they're planning to kill Jesus for breaking the Sabbath, for healing on the Sabbath. But actually large groups of people 
uh, from many different places, uh, clearly support Jesus, are enthusiastic for what he's doing, and uh, are eager to gather to him. And now the focus is on, on them. In a way, it's kind of vindicating what Jesus has done in the synagogue. The Pharisees were opposed. Um, but actually, many people were, were thoroughly in support and uh, enthusiastic for what Jesus uh, was doing. And we're kind of seeing here what Jesus has already said. He's come with new wine, and new wine needs to be poured out into a new wineskin. Um, so he's left the synagogue, he's left the Pharisees, uh, he's heard their questions, he's responded to them, but he's now kind of demonstrating, yeah, I'm actually doing a new thing. Uh, I'm not kind of just sticking around trying to win the argument with the Pharisees. Um, I'm not trying to necessarily uh, win them over directly anyway. Um, I've got new wine, it needs a new wineskin, so he withdraws with his disciples uh, to the lake. And we hear, this, uh, this, we, we hear of this large crowd gathering. What we're going to see... Uh, first off, as we look at this, is just to focus first on this growing popularity and see, actually, what does that mean for us in following Jesus uh, today? And then as we look at the next section, we'll be looking at how Jesus appointed the 12. But let's look first off at him, uh, this, this growing uh, popularity. Now, many people have crowded around Jesus before. We've seen this uh, a number of times. We saw in chapter 1, verse 33, uh, that the whole town of um, of Capernaum were, were gathered at the door because of uh, hearing of Jesus' ability to uh, to heal the sick um, and cast out demons. So we've got the whole town gathering there. There's other occasions when uh, the whole house, you know, there's, a, there's a house and people are crowded uh, into the house um, to, to, hear, to hear Jesus. But this is... This is different. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. A large crowd from Galilee followed. Well, we might expect that. That's where he's been based in this while. Um, they'd heard all that he was doing. Many people came to him from Judea and Jerusalem. Well, again, we might expect that uh, word amongst Jewish people, amongst uh, Israel has been spreading of all that Jesus has been doing and saying. So people are coming from there. But now we hear of people coming from Idumea and the regions around the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Idumea was in the south. It's Edomite country, really. It's not traditional uh, Jewish heartland. But years previously, people living there, the Edomites, um, under the Maccabees, had been really forced to follow Judaism. So they'd kind of be regarded as, well, like, King Herod the Great, kind of part Jewish, almost Jewish, a bit Jewish, not really Jewish, but kind of Jewish. Um, then there'd be uh, the, the regions across the Jordan. Well, that would involve some uh, traditional Jewish territory, but might be uh, from further afield as well. So definitely Jews gathering to Jesus. But clearly Tyre and Sidon, well, that's definitely officially not Jewish. Um, word of, about Jesus has spread that far. And so you kind of see that actually from north and south and east, people are gathering not only from, uh, from Israel, but from beyond its borders to hear of, uh, to come to Jesus. A kind of an exciting time. This is a massive crowd and it produces a very human uh, problem. They're, they're kind of, overcrowding really uh, because of the crowd he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him it can sound very polite as if there's a whole bunch of people just politely lined up um, 
me next, please. I think you, it's more of an absolute, um, they were pushing. They were, they were shoving. There's, there's pressure on Jesus. People have heard that he's healing the sick. People have heard that he's changing lives. And there's an absolute eagerness to get close to Jesus. And there's only one of him. And so people are crowding around, pushing right in, uh, trying to get to him so that they might touch him, so they might be touched by him, so they might be healed. Um, there are desperate people. And so it's not kind of polite arm's length waiting my turn, taking a ticket, I'm happy to wait. It's absolute, well, maybe it's not absolute chaos, but it's challenging. People are crushing, people are pushing in. And so it's a very uh, understandable problem. We, we kind of hear of this very simple human solution. It's amazing really to consider all these miracles have been happening. So loads and loads of people gather. And so more miracles are happening as people encounter Jesus. And so actually he then finds just a really, really simple solution to this problem. In verse 9, already mentioned it. Uh, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him. Um, what happens with and on the boat is going to be a recurring theme. We're going to find out more in these early chapters of Mark about the significant encounters Jesus has as a result of traveling in the boat, making his way to the boat, or, um, or using the boat to get somewhere else. It's only just mentioned here. We can kind of think probably what happened is similar to how it's uh, outlined in, in, in chapter 4 a bit later on, that maybe Jesus would go onto the boat and just be pushed a little bit out uh, off, off the shore so that he could still address people, still talk to people, but he wasn't subject to this absolute kind of heave-ho rugby scrum of eager, desperate people uh, wanting to be healed and have an encounter with God. So we can kind of see it in that, um, in that way. Kind of just an interesting aside then is to say, well, what, what did following Jesus mean? These, these fishermen, many of his disciples were fishermen. They'd kind of, they'd left their boats to follow him. And now Jesus is saying, actually, could you go and get your boat? I think that's going to come in quite handy um, in some way. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We can think it's very spectacular. We can think it's, it's all miraculous. Well, there's quite a lot of miraculous stuff going on. Um, but actually, even the miraculous stuff that was happening requires quite a simple, practical, pragmatic solution in the here and now. Can I borrow your boat? Uh, that would be quite helpful. He, Jesus is, is actually using the resources the expertise of his simple, ordinary disciples to help him out. And he does the same today. Um, following Jesus can mean exactly that. Actually, him using me, my simple, unspectacular resources, my mundane expertise in whatever I might be familiar with, not particularly into fishing, maybe it's something else, but actually I can, I can use that. Right, he's asked me, I'm going to go, I'm going to fetch it, I'm going to use it, I'm going to put it at his disposal. We kind of saw perhaps with, uh, with Matthew, the, the evil tax collector called to follow Jesus. He was probably excellent at keeping records um, to a lot of detail to make sure that people uh, paid up their taxes. Now he follows Jesus. And Jesus, again, he, he uses what abilities uh, Matthew, Levi uh, has. And we've got it recorded here, uh, recording what happened, recording how it 
um, fulfills scripture and so on. So for us, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, actually, using practical skills and resources for his purposes, spotting the opportunity um, that arises. I think actually there's something I can do here that will support what God is doing. I think sometimes we can kind of see following Jesus as really quite a a difficult, massive, challenging uh, thing, or maybe in terms of giftedness, it's kind of about the spectacular, it's about the miraculous, it's about the super extraordinary. Sometimes it's God just using us in our ordinariness, uh, in our kind of limitations, don't have much, but what I have, God is now again and freshly at your disposal uh, to use as you please. Maybe uh, heading into a new year, uh, that can just be in our in our minds and in our thinking, um, that actually I just want to be ready with what I have. Um, not kind of trying to rank myself with others. Actually, I, I am a disciple of Jesus. If I am a disciple of Jesus, uh, there are ways in which I can serve him. And I'm going to uh, look ahead and look forward to just maybe quite simple. It might appear quite mundane, but this is for him. This is for his purposes. This is that his name might be honoured. And maybe, yes, there'll be uh, miracles that flow out as well uh, as we pray for people, as we take steps of faith. But sometimes a step of faith is just simple act of obedience to something Jesus says, do. Share this. Give that. Here's how I want to use your time. And so on. But that's not the end of the story. See, this growing popularity is creating a, a particular problem. And the problem is, there's just a sheer vast number of people. How is Jesus going to minister to all these people? The boat uh, is helpful. Uh, but at the heart of the issue, uh, there's more than just simple crowd control at a meeting. Uh, the Son of God, at this point, can only be in one place at a time. Uh, he's limited himself to a human body and he can't minister to absolutely everyone in any moment. He needs, as it were, delegates, people who are with him, people who are standing with him that he can work with to continue um, the work of his kingdom. And so if, in a sense, we might look at verse 7 to 12 and think, oh wow, that would, wouldn't that just be wonderful? That'd be awesome. All these people from, from north, south, east and west gathering from every nation and uh, all because of the miracles and uh, it would be great to have that problem. It would be, be great to have the issue of overcrowding. Let's pray and seek God for that into uh, this year and then trying to work out, okay, well, some practical solutions. This is going to help us. Perhaps people can serve in this way. Yeah, that's all great, fantastic, wonderful. We might think, well, this is, this is great. Um, well, Jesus needs to, to take it on and, uh, and identify the, the next steps to helping, really with, I suppose, growing pains uh, in the kingdom of God. We get that in the next uh, section, verse uh, 13 onwards. We see Jesus following a process uh, on purpose. The process is this. He gets up on a mountainside. Why does he do that? I think because he wants... Uh, to get alone. He wants to actually get away from the crowd. Jesus cares massively for the crowd. He cares for all these people who've come 
to him. We've seen that before. We've seen how he heals out of an overflow of compassion for people in dire circumstance. And uh, it's, it's not kind of all calculated to, uh, to bring about greater popularity. He's caring about people. And caring about people sometimes mean those people follow him. It sometimes means those people don't take the blind bit of notice of what he says. But nevertheless, he, he responds out of compassion. He's doing the same again. He's been doing the same uh, in that overview we've just read. Um, evil spirits seeing and crying out. He's, he's kind of casting out demons. He's bringing people into freedom. But because of the challenge that these verses present because of the challenge of what's happening, he knows he has to get away. He knows he needs to go up the mountainside where probably the crowd aren't going to try and follow him and he's going to seek God. That's not said explicitly in this passage, but you get it in Luke chapter 6, a corresponding passage there. In verse 12 of Luke 6, one of those days Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Um, that's what we're getting here. He knows in order to find the next steps forward, I, I need to go and seek my God, my heavenly father. I want to keep in step with what he's doing. And so Jesus goes to the only place that's available to him, the only time that's really available to him, and he goes and seeks God. Then when he comes down, Uh, It says, he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12. So he's going to particularly now begin working with 12 men. This is his initiative. This is his way of, of moving forward. That's the process he's gone through, but there's a particular purpose in mind. Firstly, just simply that they might be with him. He wants to spend time with them. Prayer, fellowship, friendship. Yeah, it will involve a degree of of training as well. But he wants to be with them. Jesus wants to be in relationship. This is not all about function and some organizational uh, approach. He wants to be close with these 12 guys. Um, And secondly, he wants them to be able to send them out these guys to be on the same mission that he's on. There's something subtle here, but it's just worth noting that what is Jesus' response to the 12 gathering? Again, we might be thinking, this is great, this is surely the, the pinnacle of all that we're dreaming of and hoping for, that actually the crowds come, the crowds gather, and uh, we kind of set up this kind of permanent kind of base, and uh, more and more people come, and uh, we could call that revival, and we just look to kind of stay there, really, and we'll just do that. Our expectation, our hope is people do the coming. Jesus' response to this growing popularity is, actually, no, we need to be prepared to go. We need to be prepared to be on the move. Uh, Jesus is not just setting up a conference. He's not setting up... um, Sometimes what we might see, a charismatic movement. Sometimes you kind of, this has happened in the past where there's a, a particular gathering to a particular place. Sometimes to a particular anointed personality. 
And then the TV cameras come in as well so that we can all watch what's happening as they do the stuff. They pray for the sick. You think, well, that's, it's marvelous, it's wonderful. But, uh, and there's genuine work in what's happening. But sometimes it, our human tendency is kind of we want to gather to the special place. We want to gather to the special moment, to the special person. Um, and Jesus here is saying, actually, we need to be prepared for us to be on the move. Rather than people gathering to us, it's us being ready to uh, to move out. And uh, in doing so, to be preaching. Jesus, can, you can see again, Mark and Jesus, they, they're showing what's happened. They're showing this developing popularity. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of realistic. They're saying, actually, the reason that people were gathering was because they'd heard about the miracles. The reason people were gathering is because they wanted to be healed. They wanted an encounter. They wanted their life to be changed. Which is, again, it's all positive. It's all understandable. Jesus saying, actually, there's a greater need. There's another need. And that's to preach. That's to teach. That's to explain. That's to, to bring the word of God, not just an experience that people won't forget, but to draw people towards truth um, in a new way. So... This is what these guys will be involved in, preaching, as well as uh, casting out demons as well. And th- in doing something, in going through this process, for this real purpose, Jesus is actually doing something as well that's incredibly profound. Again, this is new wine into a new wineskin. Israel, the people of God, had been in 12 tribes. That's because the original Israel, Jacob, one man whose God changed his name to Israel um, became a nation. He had 12 sons. Some of them were fairly grim characters. Nevertheless, God chose to use Israel and his sons. And so all those who descended from those 12 sons were the people of God by virtue of being, as it were, in Israel, an Israelite. And now Jesus is gathering 12, 12 apostles. He's, again, he's demonstrating now that the people of God are those who are, actually, they're, they're kind of in Jesus. Jesus is appointing these 12. He's saying, again, I'm doing something new. This is new wine. You need to come and be a part of this new thing that I'm doing, uh, being in the Son of God. Um, in Hosea chapter 11, in verses that are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Uh, Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Historically, that's what happened. The nation of Israel. Um, God called out. God rescued them uh, from Egypt and from the Pharaoh. Uh, but those words are also fulfilled in Jesus, who in his early years spent time in Egypt. My son. So there's a way of being part of the people of God, which is actually being in Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Jesus is not one of the twelve. Jesus appoints the twelve in the same way that God worked in and with Israel and Israel's twelve sons. I wonder, how did the twelve feel? How did these guys respond? What was going through their minds as Jesus comes down the mountainside and says, right, I'm, I'm calling some guys 
out from amongst this large group of disciples, this bigger crowd, I'm calling you out to come and stand with me. I'm going to designate you apostles, that you might be with me, that you might be sent out in my name to preach and to have authority over demons. How did they feel? Well, they're thinking, wow, what an honor. I mean, apostle, that just has the ring of importance. And, uh, and so maybe they could feel uh, proud. This is my, this is my big break. I'm, I'm ready for this. I've spent time with Jesus. I've, I've kind of drawn from his teaching. And uh, now I'm being brought into a really uh, honored position. I have made it all the way up, not only to disciple, but now to apostle. I mean, that is some badge uh, to be wearing, uh, isn't it? It can f- sound to us, perhaps anyway, uh, glamorous, powerful. Actually, the word apostle has a fairly mundane meaning. Sent one. One who would be sent. In fact, that's what will happen a few uh, chapters later on. He'll call the twelve to him. He sent them out, two by two. Were they feeling like puffing out their chests? This is really their amazing moment, perhaps. Were they feeling a bit uncomfortable? This involves stepping out of the crowd. This involves coming out of a comfort zone, potentially. They've identified with, they've decided to follow Jesus before now, but now they're going to be identified with him in a new, closer way. There's been this showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees, and Jesus has left. Jesus has made this, this deliberate move away um, from the synagogue, away from the Pharisees, a, a, away from traditional Judaism as it was practiced then. And he's got a huge following at the moment. But who's to say what tomorrow will involve? Who's to say that this big crowd will will still be there in the future? In fact, uh, what happens, you can see in John chapter 6, on other occasions, on other occasion, John chapter 6 and verse 66, in response to some of Jesus' hearing, which was uh, harder to hear, from this time many of his disciples turned back. And no longer followed him. Do you not want to leave too? Do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Um, so they're not going anywhere. But Jesus says, well, you, you've got the option of going as well. So these guys are coming out from the crowd. They're responding to Jesus' invitation. They're being appointed as his delegates. They're lining themselves up with Jesus, kind of again, and in a new way, not knowing what the future will hold, not knowing actually necessarily the details of what they're going to be asked to do even, what this is going to mean for them in the day today. Um, they don't know what's going to happen to this crowd. The crowd is the comfortable place to be. Because when we're in the crowd, we can kind of drift towards, and then we can decide to drift away. John chapter 6, uh, sorry, yeah, John chapter 6, verse 66. It kind of demonstrates that point. People drifted towards him, enthusiastic because of what they were hearing, mainly because of what they were seeing and experiencing in terms of healing. And when they heard stuff they didn't like, they kind of decided, that's it now. I'm going to shrink away. I'm going to go back. They didn't have to commit any more than that. 
They were there as long as they wanted to be. Jesus just called the twelve and said, come and be with me. I want to spend time with you. And uh, later on in the book of Acts, that's what people will kind of be struck by. that They'll come across these ordinary apostles and think, wow, they, they're, they're, they're unschooled. They're kind of a bit rustic and rough around the edges, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. And that's what Jesus said, come and, come and be with me. But this is not kind of into some glamorous position. This is out of a comfort zone. Increased commitment. What does following Jesus mean for, for all of us? Not just for 12 individual people, but for all of us following Jesus into this year would involve coming out of our comfort zones. We often can prefer to stay part of a crowd. We might have the voices or thoughts of other friends or relatives in our ears that say, don't let your commitment uh, go too far. You must be able to show your friends that you're not taking it too seriously. You could, you could walk away if you wanted to, and of course you can. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Do you want to go as well? They could have said yes. Uh, there's not kind of a, a hard pressure of commitment in that sense. There's a freedom to come and go. But, but Jesus kind of wants closeness, wants intimacy, wants to use and train and disciple uh, these 12 people. That's what he wants to do with all of us as well. Following Jesus means kind of, yeah, lining ourselves up with him when we don't know what it will involve precisely. How much did the disciples understand? How much did Jesus explain? Well, here's the plan. Here's how these next few years are going to unfold. Um, it's all heading towards this point here. And then, and then after three years, uh, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he's going to empower you and he'll enable you to go to different nations. And um, How much does he say? We don't know. We could kind of imagine that whatever, even if he did say a huge amount, his disciples wouldn't have understood it all. uh, Because we can see that in other passages of scripture uh, as well. And so what does God call us? We've seen earlier on, he can call us to fairly simple, practical steps of serving in a way that I'm able to. uh, With the resources I've got to hand. Following Jesus also coming out of comfort zones and lining ourselves up with him. Actually, their, their life, their reputation, their time, where they were, when they were there, who they met, what they did, was all kind of staked on Jesus. My whole life is now kind of, I'm doing stuff in the name of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Come and be one of my 12. Um, I want you to do these things in my name. Uh, preaching, casting out demons are the things mentioned here. Yesterday, uh, we had the funeral of Gene Ellis, um, a long-standing member of the church, and, uh, and prior to this one, involved in, in Walkley Baptist Church as well. She got saved in 1985. Um, at a Billy Graham uh, event that was taking place in Sheffield. And uh, for those of us who, who are here, uh, I won't need to elaborate loads. Um, 
a whole array of tributes were brought uh, to Jean and her life. And the effect of all of them together was to give me a new admiration for a lady who was not ashamed of the name of Jesus and spoke the name of Jesus and prayed in the name of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus. I just thought, it's not that complicated. It's kind of simple. Jean, with her faith, her resources, which was sometimes the bag of mints, um, doing things in the name of Jesus. Demonstrating Jesus to quite a large group of family and friends. And that, all in different places and so on. But they all knew what she stood for. They all knew what happened in 1985. And uh, I just thought there was an element of just kind of wanting to stand back and go, kind of, wow, here's a disciple. And she gave her life. And I guess she wouldn't have known what would be involved every step. I guess she wouldn't have known, actually, this seed that I'm scattering, what effect will it have? Um, People that she welcomed in. Just hands up if you were ever welcomed to a meeting in the name of Jesus um, by Jean Ellis. Wonderful. Hands down. I would just commend her to all of us as an example of simple obedience to Jesus and desire to honour his name. I'm going to take from her, and this passage as well, a desire and a commitment this year to make more use of the name of Jesus. To say his name more. To pray his name more. I want it to be clear in the future on such an occasion as yesterday that I was not ashamed of the name of Jesus. And that I used what resources, what understanding, what faith I had to give glory uh, to him. In this passage, we're seeing a positive problem. The problem of growing pains. I mean, again, there are, there are moments in life where suddenly your trousers are three inches too short. And uh, it presents a bit of a challenge. Maybe creatively extra bits can be stitched on them or whatever. Um, sometimes in the life of God's people and God's church, there's suddenly challenges that come that are actually good challenges. It requires things to change. I look at this passage and I kind of think, it's great. Why, why change anything? Just gather a big crowd. Gather an increasingly big crowd and kind of just continue to do the stuff, whatever that might be. Jesus' response to this positive problem is, no, things have got to change. I'm appointing other people and actually that's going to involve being on the move. We're not just expecting for people to come here. We need to go. 
uh, and we need to share. And uh, again, sometimes we can have a desire for the spectacular. We can have a desire for the big. Uh, we can have a desire for actually things to stay the same. Um, but I think we'd be wise to take in mind a passage that says maybe in amongst faith and expectation for miracles, we're going to have to use a few boats, whatever that means. And perhaps amongst um, faith for miracles and new people responding to the gospel, there's going to be a sense as well of, okay, as we know anyway with three congregations, things are changing. Actually, they will always have to change. I think we will face the biggest problem ever if we don't need to change. <laughs> if we can kind of just keep things as they are. That would sometimes feel more comfortable. Often, that would basically be more comfortable. Actually, I think God often leads us into things that aren't comfortable. And that's a sign of life. That's a sign of progress, of new steps and following him. So let's take that to heart as well. That we're not kind of treasuring the way things are. We're not treasuring the way I like things to be. But I'm going to serve God simply with the resources I have. I'm going to, I'm going to look for and have faith for things changing. And all the time, I'm going to be seeking to line myself up with Jesus. Put my reputation actually in his name. Put my life at his disposal. Um, like the disciples, in a sense, they'd already done that. They'd already decided to follow Jesus. They'd already decided to follow him even at this point when he withdrew again from the synagogue and from the Pharisees. But there's kind of a fresh point of saying, actually, yes, and again, we're, we're lining ourselves up with Jesus again, anew, coming out from that place of easy comfort to, I don't know what's going to be involved. Who knows what the future will bring? But whatever it brings, I want to be with Jesus. And I want to see what he has in store for his people together. Amen. Let's pray.